Hello everyone, welcome to Langstaff Assembly Podcast. My name is Yanaili Joyce and I'm your host for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you and that it draws you near to God. Shall we turn to Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 17. The Gospel of Luke chapter 13. 10 through 17. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who was eight, for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are free from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrite! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the store and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated. And the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. <clears throat> this is a, the incident of the healing of the, of the woman who was bent. And in the Gospel of uh, Luke, there are two miracles which are performed in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. One is in chapter 6 where the man with the withered right hand was healed by Jesus on the Sabbath. The other is this incident of the woman who was bent for 18 years. In verse 10, we see that he was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. We know that Jesus drew a a huge gathering whenever he preached. We see that once when he preached, there were 5,000 men plus women plus children who came to see him. So probably there could have been a huge crowd which had gathered here at the synagogue to listen to Jesus. And from this back crowd, Jesus notices a woman with the bent back. It is common to observe the faces of those sitting in front of you or standing in front of you while you're speaking. But Jesus went a little bit further. He could understand the need of each person over there. And he was prompted to speak to this woman, to call out this woman and and to help her. This woman was bent by uh, by a spirit for 18 years. Interestingly, it is written that she was uh, bound by a spirit of infirmity and she was she bent down. She was oppressed by a spirit. She was not possessed by a spirit. 
in, in the case of those possessed by demons, Jesus spoke directly to the demons. But in the case of this woman, Jesus spoke directly to her and not to any demon. So we can see that this woman had some kind of a bodily affliction that was brought by uh, the evil spirit. In the Old Testament, we read about Job who had a bodily affliction which was brought by Satan. In the New Testament, we read about Satan's messenger afflicting Paul with bodily ailment, which is referred to as a thorn in the flesh. So we understand that demon possession and demon oppression are two different things. And in this case, the woman was oppressed by a demon. Since the scripture does not explain some of these things in detail, uh, we can leave it at that. Uh, let's not major on minors, lest we merely minor on majors. So the main theme here is that Jesus is here at the center and he is giving, a, giving freedom to this uh, woman. Verse 12, in the middle of his teaching, he notices her and calls her. He was very sensitive all the time. Oftentimes, uh, in our lives, we may not notice how God leads us or the working of God in each and every moment of our lives. But Jesus was very different from us in the sense, and he showed us an example of being very sensitive. There are two kinds of sensitivities. One could be the sensitivity of a weighing balance that we, we step on to check our weight. It might give an accuracy of probably 0.1 kilogram. But in the case of uh, the sensitivity of a weighing balance used for measuring gold or some, some precious element, you, you could get in milligrams, 0.1 milligrams. It's not in 0.1 kilograms. The sensitivity was is way, way up high. Jesus', is, Jesus sensitivity is very high. He's able to sense things uh, very quickly. And he is sensing a need here. And he does all the things that he does is according to the leading of his father. He said, I came to do not my will, but the will of him who sent me. I do nothing on my own. And so he, father is leading him and he is stopping his teaching to help someone in need. Sometimes we can get so much caught up with ministry that we forget the simple acts of kindness that God wants us to do first. For example, the wife is busy in the kitchen and cooking a meal and feeding the child and getting the clothes ready for a Sunday meeting while the husband is sitting relaxed on the couch doing a study on the tabernacle uh, with his cup of coffee, totally oblivious to the needs of the wife. It would be appropriate for him to stop his tabernacle study and go and help his wife. So there are, at this particular moment, Jesus considered helping someone as more needful than his teaching, than his preaching. And he was always present where he should be. He was never in a hurry. And even today, he's not in a hurry. We might think that we have to do certain things for God, and we need to hurry up. But Jesus was never in a hurry. He goes, he stops, he meets people, and he stops and helps them. He's always willing and ready. He stopped his teaching and asked the woman to come forward. In chapter 5, we see Jesus telling the paralyzed man that, man, arise, take up your bed and go home. Here Jesus tells the woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. 
perhaps these would have been the most marvelous words that this woman could have heard in 18 years of her life. Nothing that someone had told her in 18 years could have brought her as much, as much joy as what she just heard. The Lord is proclaiming freedom to those in captivity. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of freedom, a gospel that brings people into bondage. It's not a biblical gospel. To the paralyzed man, Jesus first said, your sins are forgiven. What we see here, to this woman, he just says, you are freed from your sickness. Jesus responded according to the situation. He, he did not have a one-size-fits-all style of ministry. He addressed each person according to their personal need as the Spirit led him. And each person's story is different. What they need to hear is different. In the, chronicle, in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, as Aslan tells, uh, child, I'm telling you your story, not hers. No one is told any story but their own. No one is told any story but their own. What we need to hear, God tells us. It is not for us to know what someone else's story is. And each person's story, God tells them in different ways and God deals with people in different ways. And Jesus, in verse 13, he lays his hands on her and heals her. Keep in mind that this is a traditional Jewish society. And in, in that culture, she was labeled as unclean because she has a bodily ailment. Jesus was willing to touch her and heal her just as he healed the man with leprosy. He's, he is going against the status quo. And while this woman rejoices and, and glorifies God, there was someone or there were some people who were not too happy about it. In verse 14, we read that the ruler of the synagogue is answering with indignation. Why is he having this behavior? We see a, a dichotomy in theory and practice in the response of this uh, synagogue president, the ruler. He could not rejoice with this lady. He had no real concern for others. He was only concerned with maintaining his little throne. And he was filled with envy, pride, and hardness of heart. Many a times, if you rationalize your sin, it will no longer appear as sin. To this ruler, his behavior was totally normal. And he considered himself to be spiritual. God wanted King Saul to destroy the Amalekites and their possessions completely. But Saul disobeys by bringing the sheep and the oxen. And Prophet Samuel asks King Saul, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep, bleating of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord your God. The rest we have utterly destroyed. Saul is rationalizing his behavior, his sin. If you rationalize sin, it will no longer seem as sin to you. And there was a mention of another synagogue official in chapter 8 of the Gospel of Luke, Jairus. But we see the difference in the behavior. Jairus humbled himself and fell at the feet of Jesus. 
But this official, he was no doubt perplexed by Jesus' authority. He could not refute the Lord. He was unable to be in control of the situation. Sometimes people, once they get authority, they want to be in control all the time. That's what happened to King Saul. We read that he was, in, the, in his initial days, he was so timid and, and, and seemingly humble that he hid behind the baggage when Samuel was looking to anoint him as king. But he got his power. He came, he got his authority. And we see the way his life went. Person can start right, but as time progresses, he's no longer considering himself as a child of God, but now he's a, he's a brother with a capital B. And then he earns a few degrees and pedigrees and he becomes someone great. And then in order to keep this throne that he has built for himself, he, he organizes things around him and tries uh, to always, uh, and always has this feeling, fear that he might lose his throne. This synagogue official is afraid that he would lose his throne. He is the one who, whom people should look up to, people should respect, people should approach, but people are not noticing him. They're going to Jesus. But he's not addressing Jesus. He is instead resorting to reproving the crowd, including the healed woman. He's telling that there are six days in which men ought to work. In them, you in those days, you come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. And he starts to criticize. When people are envious, they might criticize you indirectly. They cannot look straight into your face and speak, so they will speak to someone else about you. Your every action will be misconstrued and misinterpreted. A clear evidence of having no hard feelings against someone is that we can look into the eyes of the other person with compassion, with love, and with joy to have seen the work of God in and through that dear brother or dear sister. And we can rejoice with them. We can say, like John the Baptist said, he must increase and we must decrease. The synagogue president's statement actually made no sense at all. He asked the people to come some other day other than the Sabbath for healing. Had they come some other day, would he have healed them? The synagogue ruler did not have the authority. He was, a great, he was in greater bondage than this woman was. He was bound by the traditions in his mind and their unwillingness in his heart. The synagogue was one of the places where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law exalted themselves and projected their self-piety. They could not digest the fact that this outsider from Galilee, this nobody, was becoming more popular than them. They misused the scriptures to control the people, get recognition, and become rich. And Jesus responds by exposing this hypocrisy. One group of people that Jesus constantly criticized were the Pharisees and for their hypocrisy. Uh, hypo uh, this, the word uh, hypocrisy comes from the Greek. Uh, I don't like to 
use much Greek because it gives an appearance that you know more than you actually do. Uh, so uh, hypocrisy, uh, it, it says it, it means that, uh, means actors, stage actors. So in, in those early times, you would find hypocrites in the theaters. They would be on the stage performing. They would be pretending to be someone. So Jesus saying, you want to see a hypocrite? You don't need to go to the theater. Here they are. So in, in modern times, in our days, where do we find hypocrites? I hope people won't say, you just go to the church, you can find. Jesus uh, is healing this woman in the similar way that Jesus heals a man with a withered hand in Luke chapter 6. In both cases, the healed individuals are called out before the crowd and, they, and the healing is performed on the Sabbath day. So Jesus reproves the wrong traditions and restores the real meaning of Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Jesus chose to heal on the Sabbath to teach a lesson. When we extrapolate this teaching to the new covenant, we can understand that the spiritual disciplines in Christian life are meant to be mere means and not the end in themselves. Disciplines such as Bible reading, Bible study, fasting, resting, solitude and silence, giving, fellowship, and serving the poor can be excellent means of placing ourselves in the path of receiving God's grace. However, exalting these habits and activities as spiritual in itself is legalism at its best and hypocrisy at its worst, which will lead people to spiritual bondage. Satan and his demons brought people into bondage, but Jesus always brings freedom. Jesus is defending the defenseless in verse 16. And ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, though these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. A crippled person was seen in a negative light. He or she was dishonored by the Jewish and by the Greco-Roman cultures. They were actually unimportant in society and probably considered a burden. And Jesus spoke up for this woman. Speak, speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. Proverbs 31 verse 8. Jesus honors her and calls her a daughter of Abraham. The only woman in the Bible to be called so. Jesus attributes an honorable identity to a dishonored woman. We read today that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. To the reaction of the listeners here, some are humiliated, others rejoice. It is those who think that they are superior and knowledgeable who often get offended because they have certain perceptions of their identity and their identity is not in Christ. We can know where our identity is, the way we look at other people and how we evaluate the other person or find the identity of another person. People find identity in their jobs, in the wealth that they have, in their education. They might have more degrees than the thermometer or more degrees to hang at the end of a kite, but 
that is not the identity for a child of God. And when a child of God finds his or her identity in Christ, they don't get offended when people say something against them. Because their identity is, in, is not in those things. It's not in the fact that they're superior because of their knowledge. It's not in the fact that they're superior because of the authority that they have. The people actually rejoiced to see the glorious things that were done. They were more humble than this religious synagogue president. A person who is lying down does not need to fear that he will fall. John Bunyan wrote the poem, he that is down needs fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide. Some people were ashamed. If we don't humble ourselves, God has his own way of humiliating us as a last resort for our own good. The, his adversaries were ashamed. They were humiliated before the crowd. King Saul did not humble himself. So God humiliated him, but still he resisted God. But God gave freedom to that poor woman who humbled herself. In spite of her debilitating illness, in spite of probably being judged as a sinner by others, she still came to the synagogue probably regularly to worship God. For 18 years, she found it hard to walk, hard to see, hard to perform the ordinary chores, hard to communicate with people. She was bent down. She could not even see the faces of people. But she was humble enough to come and worship. And Jesus calls this woman. He frees her from bondage. There's a greater bondage which is bending down men and women and children even today. The bondage of sin. King David lived with sin for a year. He did not humble himself. His sin of adultery and murder was a closely guarded palace secret. And God was about to kill him. In Psalm 38, he says, I'm bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. His sin is bending him down. Here is a greater bondage. Like Satan's sin can bend us down. But God gave David one last chance by exposing the sin through Nathan, the prophet. If you are under the bondage of sin... If you're dreading the way your life is moving, if the goodness of God is leading you to repentance today, don't harden your hearts. Believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for your sins. Turn from your sins. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he became a substitute for us, for our sins on the cross, and he shed his precious blood, and he died. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And he rose again on the third day, victorious over death. And he went up to heaven. And he wants everyone to repent and turn to him. As many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. If you trust in the Lord Jesus today, he will save you. This poor woman was filled with joy and she rejoiced praising God. Others saw and heard these things and they rejoiced as well. She became an instrument of blessing. Her sickness was used as a demonstration of the power of God, as a life lesson to teach the real meaning of God's word to those who were stuck in legalism. 
our difficult circumstances and trials can be used by God for his glory. Why is this happening to me? God has a purpose. Like Satan, sorrow and suffering can also bend this. Psalm 42, we read, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted in me? Hope, you, hope thou in, the, in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help, help of his countenance. Suffering can bend us down. Psalm 44, verse 25, for our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly cleaves unto the, unto the earth. Yet others can be encouraged by our reaction to sorrows and sufferings. God can uh, use these to mold us, to teach lessons, to help us. We heard about David and Saul today in the worship as well. Yes, David was running through the caves of Adullam. God was removing the caverns of Saul from the heart of David. God was helping him and molding him so much so that when he finally speaks to Saul, he calls Saul as the anointed one. God can make it all work together for good to them that love him and those that are the called according to his purpose. If the Lord has freed us, let us rejoice and spread this freedom, which is only available in Jesus Christ. Hey, thank you so much for listening. What a privilege it was to share God's word with you today. We pray that you were fed, strengthened, and more equipped to run the race with perseverance. To listen to more podcasts like this, make sure to subscribe. For more content from Langstaff and to connect with us, go to langstaffassembly.com. Have a blessed day and we'll see you next time.